This podcast is brought to you by the College of Nursing at Brigham Young University. For more information about its programs, faculty, students, or alumni events, please visit nursing.byu.edu. Being a nurse is one super stressful job, especially when you're an ER nurse. If you like seeing a variety of patients and working in a fast-paced environment and knowing how to combat burnout, stay tuned. Hey guys, I'm Adia Hansen. And I'm Corbin Smith. Together we are going to explore the nursing profession. With exclusive interviews from nurses working in jobs you want to know about. Transferring info from one nurse to another. This is the College Handoff. Welcome back, students, nurses, and friends. This is the College Handoff. We have three special guests this week, all with different but just as valuable insights for all of us. We kick it off with Renee Atwood, an ER nurse who has awesome things to share about burnout and how to best avoid it while you work, especially during those long overnight shifts. She's followed by two BYU nursing grad students, Casey and Heather, who share with us their three-minute theses. BYU has a program where one grad student from each college on campus compete for money by presenting their thesis focus in just three minutes. Today, we wanted to tease that competition by introducing you to two of the possible grad students who could represent the BYU College of Nursing in this competition and what their research focus is. Let's get to it. So today we're here with Renee Atwood. Renee, could you introduce yourself to us? Yeah, um... I'm actually a BYU graduate. In 1986, I went through the bachelor's program and graduated in August of 1986, and have been a an I've been a nurse all of those years now. So initially, I um, was hired on at um, uh, the hospital for uh, the float pool. So I worked seven months in that. And I never really felt like I had a home department. That was really hard for me to start out uh, in a float pool. I I felt like I needed a little more experience. And I had some friends that worked in the emergency room. um, And they said, come down. There's a job opening down here. And I thought, oh, heavens, I don't think I can do that. (laughs) Um, But anyway, I did apply because they were so, you know, encouraging and said they'd help me. And (laughs) so I applied and got a job seven months in and I've been there ever since. Wow. Same hospital, same unit? Yes. That's amazing. So I heard that you are a nurse educator at the hospital. Is that correct? Yes, I've done that for the last 12 or 13 years. Okay. And what's your role with that? Um, I, I would say two things. One, the major thing right now is orient, orientation. I develop and kind of um, help um, provide a structure for nurses um, to orient to the department and depending on whether you're a new grad or a seasoned nurse, um, it depends on how many weeks you'll orient to the department. But I I arrange all that, your coaches and mentors, I I arrange that with, with their involvement, the new hires involvement. And I love that because you guys, all of you guys coming out of nursing school bring some energy and enthusiasm and excitement for the field. And that really helps uh, me. I I love that. And then the other piece is 
skills, just keeping, you can imagine in the emergency room, there are several things that we do frequently and some things we do infrequently. So Mm -hmm. helping to, you know, think of creative ways to educate and, and um, practical ways so that people can retain that through simulation or competitions or um, QR code races or whatever it is. I enjoy that a lot. What is one of the coolest things that you've seen in the ER? There are a lot of cool things. I think any time you can save a life, it's cool. But one that comes to mind is uh, on Father's Day one year, uh, EMS walked a man who his family had gone up to check on their child um, at home. And they were the child was um, unresponsive and um, they the EMS or the dispatch person walked the family through CPR until um, the medics could arrive. And he actually saved his child li- child's life. I was his nurse, but when they got to the ER by ambulance, the child was awake and responsive and the dad had saved it, its life, his life. And so uh, I remember that because it was an unusual circumstance on a interesting day and a father, you know, saved his son's life. So I've heard that COVID has really affected the ERs. How have they changed in the last year? So this is a, this is a difficult question for me because, you you know, I've already told you how long I've been in the ER and um, we talk a lot about ER nurses usually get burned out or have the compassion fatigue or whatever over time and, and don't last that long. And so I feel like I'm a little unique that way. And um, I have a friend, Stacy Hunsaker, who works with me, who um, is involved in resiliency training and compassion fatigue is one of her um, focuses and burnout. She's one of the experts in that area and has done some study in that area. And, and so when um, COVID first hit, we didn't really know what hit us. And I would describe that back in March as we would round every day and we were trying to figure out what we needed to do because, you know, we, we initially didn't have any real, you know, direction. We just, we were seeing patients and we needed to respond to the patients arriving. And initially when I would round on our staff, I pretty much stopped uh, working shifts and just supporting the staff and some of the processes we needed to implement with, you know, um, PPE, protective equipment for our staff and all of that. But initially when I would round, I would see people just stressed for their loved ones, for themselves, um, it, you know, and the changes that we were implementing daily was overwhelming. So that, that, that created a lot of stress. In the summer, I would say, and I don't even know the time frame because it's all a big blur this past year, but <laughs> I would say once you kind of got spring into early summer, uh, we started noticing that our caregivers were feeling um, kind of down. Even people I would talk to, some of our staff, we would round on them daily. Um, uh, the management team and education team, we would round out on the floors and, and try to be a resource to our staff. And I I would have these deep conversations with people about difficulties, um, you know, people wearing masks, not wearing masks, um, just um, and then also just their attitude, feeling just um, typically upbeat and and happy, but now feeling a little down. And I would say even, you know, depressed. Maybe not clinically, but depressed. Yeah. And then, uh, and people have described this in the media, but then you know we're at this point where 
Um, some caregivers are doing okay, kind of on and off, but I would say people are exhausted. It's and and you know that's across across all all nursing. Yeah. Um, but you know I worked uh, just myself, and I'm I'm not unique. I worked more hours than I've ever worked in my career in one year um, um, because we needed we needed workers. So yeah. it's been difficult to watch. And um, we've been trying to figure out ways to help people um, cope, our staff cope with this uh, pandemic. It's been uh, difficult. And I would say for me, um, the massive amount of information that comes us at us has been overwhelming. And that that's created burnout for me. Oh, yeah. So with burnout, what has helped you throughout your many years in the ER avoid becoming burned out and having that compassion fatigue? You know, I've tried to put my finger on that. And um, maybe I'll just share a couple of thoughts. One is I have had experiences in my career where, um, uh, and I would say three major ones, where I thought it was a burnout, but now with COVID, knowing what burnout is, it was compassion fatigue. Mm. Um, and, um, I'll just give you an experience. One December, I was involved in the care of three babies who had coded and, um, and we couldn't, we couldn't save them. All of them died. And that was really hard. And, um, I had another experience where right after my mission, I was a nurse on my mission, by the way, I've been a nurse for about three years. And then um, I decided to go on a mission when I was 27 and actually was called to be a missionary in Argentina and learn Spanish. So that's helped me. But yeah. uh, right after my mission, when I got home, we had three three toddlers or younger ran over by cars and all of them um, died as well. Oh and gosh. then I also had an experience where one of my coworkers was working a shift with me and her son was brought in and he became an organ donor, and that oh. was probably the har- hardest, um, hardest in my career. And and it took me a while to recover from that one. Um, a, another coworker had lost a son to suicide at the same time, so we had a couple of funerals in the department, and mm. we did debriefing and things like that. But it took a long time to get over that. That I would say, you know, because you care so much. That I would term for me personally, compassion fatigue. This 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 last thing was what I call burnout. Uh, I there were a few days last summer where I just didn't care. They could send me an email and I would just be like, I don't know what to do with this. There, I felt so overloaded. I just yeah. felt like I couldn't function, and I just felt like, and I was so low on sleep and you know all of that. And uh, I would stay up till four in the morning studying about COVID and reading what was out there. And it it was just overwhelming. Like we just couldn't get on top of it because we didn't know a lot. You know, we just had to go each day and and then and then adjust and and go the next day and do something different. And I would say it took me a while to (laughs) resurface, like come up for air. Mm -hmm. And uh, this last little bit, I think just coming um, I think my purpose then became, uh, my coworkers. I wanted to be a leader and a helper to them. And I think having that purpose 
helped pull me out. And then also I decided just at the beginning of this year, um, in fact, this just goes to show I, I really like to do stuff when I have time off work. And because of COVID, you know, even when we have time off work, it's hard. Mm-hmm. But I had a Friday off just recently and I completely off. I didn't have anything I had to do with work. And because I'd been working so much, I didn't even know what to do with my day. <laughs> I had to rethink and think, oh, my gosh, what did I used to do? What can I do? You know, I I was just so used to working, which I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a workaholic, but I felt like I needed to this past year. I've just kind of set some boundaries and decided, hey, I, I can't do what I did last year. <laughs> I have to also have a personal life this year. And, you know, that's what we teach, too. Um, self-care and all those things we learn in self-care are important, but everyone has to individualize that for themselves. Yeah. And I feel like I'm trying to do that now. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad. I've kind of experienced that with school. Just when it's over, I don't know what to do with myself. There's like no purpose to life. <laughs> um, so that self-care is so important while you're in stressful situations. And what advice do you have for students who want to work in the ER in the future? Um, I get asked this question a lot. I think it depends on your background. Um, I didn't have a lot of experience in nursing. Um, in fact, that was not my plan. I, um, I, uh, I wanted to be a coach and a PE teacher or a dance teacher or something. And I felt inspired to be a nurse and I didn't know why. Mm. And, uh, I just followed that kind of, um, direction and prompting and, um, so, you know, I think for everyone, it's a little bit different, but I think, um, I, I think the classes that are offered like in high school are great. I think some of the community classes like basic life support are great. Um, there are ways, you know, you can prepare. I think what you said, shadowing to make sure that that's something you can handle. Yeah. However, I don't really do well with blood or emesis or any of those those things that you think are difficult for nurses I still don't do very well with that and I still manage to be able to handle working in the ER so I don't think that really eliminates you either if you can't handle some of that stuff initially. Renee if students have any questions for you do you have an email where they could get in touch with you? Yeah um, Renee Atwood at gmail Renee E. Atwood at gmail dot com. So I'll spell that R-E-N-E-E-E-A-T-W-O-O-D at G-M-A-I-L dot C-O-M. Well, thank you so much, Renee, for coming and talking to us today. (laughs) You're welcome. Huge shout out to the BYU nursing students for their help with COVID testing on campus every single week. To watch a fun video offering praise and saying thank you to you in a video featuring the cheer squad, Cosmo, and the dunk team, visit nursing.byu.edu. Our first three-minute thesis guest today is Casey Bunker. Casey, welcome to the show. Thank you. Could you introduce yourself a little bit for us? Yeah. Um, I am originally from Las Vegas area, Henderson, Nevada, and... Um, I'm an alum of BYU, did my undergrad nursing here and currently in the second year of BYU and just, I've loved being back here. It's been the best. Can you tell us about who you worked with and how you got involved in this subject? 
Yeah, I worked with Dr. Neil Peterson, uh, got involved my first term in the NP program. About the first day, you're told about the thesis that you need to do, and you kind of just start looking for chairs that day, people, professors who would be willing to um, have you work with them. Either you come up with the research idea, or they sometimes will have a research topic that they are interested in or that they've kind of started. And so I inter- or interviewed or met with a couple of the professors, and Neil and I met, and I thought that research topic that he was kind of meddling around with sounded really interesting, and so I asked if he would be willing to let me work with him, and he was. So, so for the non-nurse like me, your subject is exercising before heart surgery. Exactly. But- for the nursing student, can you tell us what your thesis title is? Yes. It's Prehabilitation Prior to Cabbage or Coronary Artery Bypass Graft. Okay, nice. Could you possibly give us a summary of your thesis? Yeah, so I studied the impact of prehabilitation prior to coronary artery bypass graft. So prehabilitation is the implementation of physical activity prior to a surgery. It has been done in other kinds of surgeries um, orthopedic quite a bit, abdominal some, and also some heart surgeries, but it has not been really studied very well exclusively in coronary artery bypass grafts. So that's what I was studying. Um, essentially, my research was looking at studies that have um, been done, looking at physical activity prior to cabbages, and then I compiled the um, results from each of those studies, kind of categorized the results and synthesized the information and wrote a systematic review on um, yeah, prehabilitation prior to cabbage. And what we found was that it really does not have negative impacts. Some things it doesn't make a huge difference in, not, um, not significantly different. Some things are significantly different, but really no detriment. So the things that we did find, though, that were significant, it has decreased complications during the whole operative process, improved emotional and social well-being, which is really important because studies have shown that those getting cabbage have double the risk of depression, increased cost savings, improved physical ability, and that is prior to cabbage and during this um during the procedure and after, and then increased enrollment in cardiac rehabilitation program post-surgery, which also decreases mortality rates in those getting heart surgeries. Wow, that's super interesting. That's awesome. So your thesis deals with graphs. Um, Can you explain how that works? Yeah, kind of crazy. A lot of the times I'll take um, a mammary vessel, which is the tissue of, um, which is a vessel in your breast tissue um, for both male and female, and they'll take one of those vessels and they'll implant it. Well, they'll take out the segment in the heart, the blood vessel in the heart that is not working that as a clot or just for some reason isn't working as it should be. And they'll take the healthy vessel from the mammary tissue and implant it into the heart. And the way prehab helps with that is by exercising. You make the vessel that you put to the heart, you make it healthier. And so not only does it make the heart healthier, but also makes the other vessels healthier. So you have healthier vessels to harvest and implant. So did you guys like look at the types of exercises that could be done before heart surgery? We did. So we were really specific about it had to, there were been other studies done and they looked more at 
um, pulmonary exercises is kind of what they called it, pulmonary um, rehabilitation. And we excluded those. We wanted more physical activity um, and not just stretching. It needed to be um, pretty active. We did not necessarily look at, I mean, the studies would tell us what generally what the exercises were. They weren't really specific. But what we looked at was if the physical activity was structured or if it was unstructured. Structured being a medical professional gave them a program to follow that they needed to implement. Unstructured being after they had the surgery, researchers came in and asked them what their physical ability, what their physical activity level was prior to the surgery. And so they were not given a program to necessarily follow, but they were rated as being like physically their physical fitness was rated um, based off of their answers to the questionnaire. And that kind of gave us a little idea if they were physically fit before surgery to let us know if that was um, an influencer in their recovery. Yo, that is crazy. Well, this has been so fun for me. So interesting, so entertaining. We hope you do so well in the three-minute thesis contest if you were chosen as a representative for a college. But thank you so much for coming on the show today. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. So our second three-minute thesis guest is Heather Merrill. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Could you tell us about yourself as well? Yeah, so I am a been a nurse for three years and now I'm going back to school here at BYU in the nurse practitioner program. I'll graduate in the summer and um, I'm also on the BYU racquetball team, which I love. (laughs) That's a little bit about me. So we want to hear your complete three minute thesis. Could you do that for us? Sure. Sweet. Ready? (laughs) Go. According to a Pew Research study, prior to the 2020 presidential election, 83% of Americans said that it really matters who wins. This is up from 50% just 20 years ago. I think all of us have seen a recent trend, especially in the last year, of increasing public interest in politics. But how many of you know the name of your local representative or senator, or just one law that was enacted last year in Utah? And if there was something you really cared about that you wanted to see change, would you know how to make it happen? As frontline healthcare workers, you know what changes need to be made in healthcare. For example, maybe you see your patients paying huge costs for life-saving medications, and you would like to decrease the cost of these medications. Or maybe you would like to see Medicare reimburse nurse practitioners 100% instead of 85% of what an MD or DO would be reimbursed. I absolutely want to see that change. My thesis is a guide for nurse practitioners to enact policy change. Two years ago, I would have answered no to all of the questions I just asked. But now I know how to impact policymaking in Utah and want to give that knowledge to you, because who better to make policy than nurses? After all, nurses have been ranked the most trusted profession for 19 years in a row. What a juxtaposition to politicians. The guide I created to enacting policy change is based off a bill that Lacey Eden, a professor here at BYU, championed in 2017 and is now Utah law. Now that's cool. One of our BYU professors made one of her ideas a law. And a little secret, anyone can do it. It only has six steps that I've made into an acronym CHANGE. I will tell you what each letter stands for, then explain the step I think is most important. Negotiate. C is collect information, H is hinge, 
A is association, N is negotiate, G is gather support, E is expect to be the expert. Back to negotiate or picking a legislator that you can negotiate with and who will negotiate for you to get your bill passed. If you know nothing else and want to see a certain change, pick a legislator with a listening ear and enough sway in the legislature and you can be successful even if you know nothing except for what you remember from I'm a bill video in junior high. They can guide you through the whole process. Finally, the message I hope you take from these three minutes is that influencing and even making laws is possible and more accessible than you ever thought. You can do it. And even more, I believe as nurse practitioners, we have an obligation to change law to benefit our patients and the health of our communities. Yo, that is amazing. So now that you have this thesis, now what's the plan? Is there a bill or a law or some piece of legislature that that you'd love to see in place in the future? Well, right now we're running a nurse practitioner bill. Did you know that? No way. Really? Yeah. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. Um, so um, I'm actually on the Utah Nurse Practitioner Legislative Committee. And um, this year, so we've been trying to pass the like a full practice for nurse practitioner, um, full practice authority for nurse practitioners since um, 2012, I think is when we started the fight. And um this year, we're hoping to get it um, to finally get full practice authority here in Utah for nurse practitioners. Um, so our bill just got numbered this week, actually. It's House Bill 287. And we've got a lot of um, House representatives um, that are co-sponsoring it and support it. So we're really excited about hopefully getting that bill passed this year. So now I'm thinking about it a little bit. And I'm curious, how could students tell local leaders about their support for this bill? Absolutely. I mean, we need a simple majority in the House. So they all have representatives that um, live in their area. And and the more people talking to their um, representatives, the better. Um, because, uh, and the more they hear, um, the more they uh, will respond. And it's harder to ignore when they, when we have more voices. So absolutely, this is the perfect time to contact representatives. If listeners would like to contact their um, local representatives, the website is le.utah.gov to find your representative. And then um, from there, you um, the, the Utah legislative um, website has all of their contact information, um, email, sometimes phone numbers, um, and that's a perfect way to get in contact with them. It's House Bill 287. Well, there you go. As a student myself and as somebody who wants to make a difference in the world, I think that is very valuable to share with everybody. But thank you so much for being on the show today and good luck in the competition. Awesome. Thank you so much. I've had a great time. We've had a ton of guests this episode, but we wanted to end with another on the street segment from our editor, Donovan. Let's listen to it. Hey guys, it's Donovan. We're back on the street and this time we're at the Wilkinson Center. We're going to be talking to some of the super swabbers that have been helping out with the COVID testing, just asking them a couple questions. So let's get to it. So we're here with Anave. How are you today? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. So what semester are you in the nursing program? I'm in my second semester. Nice. <laughs> okay, cool. So how have you learned about compassion being a super swabber here at BYU? Yeah, that's a good question. I think um, one thing that I've learned is that 
Like even in this case of swabbing, like it's not, it doesn't hurt, it's not an invasive test, but it's still important to be compassionate because people come in and they get really nervous still, or I've seen people cry, you know? And so it's important to kind of see it from their perspective, like they don't really know what to expect. So that's something I've learned um, about compassion. Nice, that's super cool. Awesome, thank you very much. Yep. We're also here with Henry, how are you? I'm doing fine. How are you guys doing? I'm doing pretty good. And you're you're a shift supervisor here uh, for the swabbing, right? Yeah, that's right. There are about five of us, and we sign up for different days that we're all available. But we definitely want to make sure that each shift, morning and afternoon, gets covered. Nice. That's awesome. So what inspired you to start helping with the swabbing? Yeah, this started out last year before Thanksgiving break. And when it started, I, I thought it was a really cool thing that BYU was doing, you know, offering free testing for students. And I think it's really important for students to get tested, um, especially now with the vaccine rolling out. Um, hopefully we'll start to see number of cases dwindling. Um, and I'm hoping that testing is not going to be something that will be something that gets pushed to the side as vaccination increases. Um, but I hope that it, you know, remains constant or maybe, maybe even increases. Um, Again, so we can see hopefully that less and less people are getting the virus. And so I thought it was a really cool opportunity for me to be able to help out with, uh, you know, with BYU, with the state and, and also just with this global pandemic. I thought it was a really cool opportunity to be a part of all of that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. I appreciate you guys doing your doing your thing. We're also here with Holly. How are you? Good. I'm doing great. That's awesome. What semester are you in? I am first semester nursing. Wow, so you're just starting in the nursing program. Yep, and I am drowning, but I love it. <laughs> That's great. So how do you feel like this experience has helped you just to learn more about nursing and start to become a good nurse? Well, it's actually funny because, of course, you get it like the whole medical side where you're wearing all of the PPE and everything. But the coolest thing, I think, is that I've been able to practice the people skills, which I personally feel like is one of the most important parts of being a nurse, mm -hmm. is being able to interact with people and try to make them smile when we all know that they do not want to be tested for COVID. So to be able to try to, like, lighten the mood, it's been fun to try to do that for people and help their day be a little bit better, even though they have to get COVID tested. So, yeah. That's great. I mean, you guys do great work here too. And like, it's really important. I think that everybody gets tested and that we try to keep the numbers down, you know, so yeah. we can return back to normal life. That's what we're, that's the goal. That's what we're trying to get. Nice. It's a good goal to have. So thank you very much, Holly. Appreciate yeah, it. Of course. Finally, we are here with Carly. How are you? I am doing super awesome. That's great. What semester are you in? This is my fourth semester. It's been tons of fun. I, yeah, really love this semester. That's great. So how has being a super swabber helped you learn the healer's art? I think it's kind of a tough question, but I feel like, um, you know, swabbing is like a super simple task, kind of gets monotonous when you're just doing it over and over again. But mm -hmm. um, it's allowed me to like focus more on the person and not on the task, which has been really awesome. Um, just learning to connect with people as you take care of them, a lot of people are nervous to get tested, so it's just helped me to show compassion and to um, teach them um, in a very simple way like the Savior would. Nice. That's awesome. I love that. It's all about showing compassion and, and charity for those that we're trying to serve, right? Yes, I know. COVID's not very fun, so what a better time to show compassion. 
I totally agree. Well, Carly, thank you so much. We appreciate it. You're welcome. Nice talking with you. We just wanted to give a quick shout out to the public health students and to the nursing students for putting in all this hard work to consistently test everybody here on campus. You guys do a lot of good work, so keep it up. We want to keep everyone safe. You know, Edie, it's kind of interesting. When I heard that we were going to be asking super swabbers questions, I had figured that we were going to ask them about, like, what is it like to do this COVID test? Like, is it fun? Is it scary? Is it interesting? Whatever adjective you want to think of. But the first thing I thought of wasn't necessarily about compassion. And now that I'm thinking about it, compassion might be the most important thing that these students do while they're down there. I remember when I first got my little COVID swab last semester, I was so nervous. I, I don't know why I was nervous, but um, person who did my swab, I actually know her. Her name is Jenna. She's awesome. And it was just by luck that I was able to get Jenna to be my swabber, but she made me feel so much more comfortable. And that was the most influential experience that could have happened there because I was so scared and she made me so comfortable just right away. Yeah, totally. I love how this little segment kind of highlights how compassion really is the heart of nursing and that you really make such a big difference in people's lives in such a short amount of time that you're in their lives. I agree so much. Thank you guys for what you do. We say this every single week about how much we appreciate what you do and the hard work that you put into this campus community and helping us be safe. But I, I guess we just want to reiterate that. Um, thank you for everything that you do. And um, we would not be the same campus community without you. And I just want to second that. Thank you all so much for all the work that you've put in to help with COVID, specifically those who are doing swabbing. And it's difficult times like this that show that we as students really do make a difference. You all are doing amazing things. We hope you have the best week. Thank you for listening. See y'all. See you next week. <laughs>